pray that this is a great way to start your week. You know, many times people look at Sunday as the weekend, but uh, we know it's the first day of the week and we just look forward to the opportunity of starting out our week in the house of the Lord, giving that first to God, first of our time, uh, our commitment, our worship. It's always great. I want to, a couple of things that I just want to communicate with you. We have some folks who over the years have just done uh, a very good job of uh, helping us care for our vehicles. Uh, Jose, I'm not sure if Jose here, he's done a lot of mechanical work. Aaron has uh, driven for us for uh, for many years and and we're so, so grateful and thankful. But we we do recognize though, of course, as, as we've increased and the number of things that we got going on that we do, we need more more help in that area of uh, either driving the van or the or the uh, bus on a on a rotating basis, or even if you have a, a heart to help us with mechanically to keep uh, keep them um, keep them running, uh, we would uh, we would certainly appreciate that. You can go on the website, and I believe if you go through the grow section, if you've been through grow, if you haven't been through grow, when you get to that section, go ahead and register for grow. If you've been through grow, I think you follow that link, and there should be an area there where you can indicate that you want to serve. And so, if you're willing to help us in that area, we would really really appreciate it. Or you can let them know out. Uh, out on the way out at, the, at one of the connect uh, tables. Speaking of grow, uh, 11 o'clock is the uh, first class. So if you have not been in grow, that's where you learn more about us, more as a church. Uh, you know God, uh, find freedom, uh, discover purpose, and make a difference. And you get the mission, the vision, who we are, what we do. Grow is the is the place to do it. That's meeting uh, at 11 o'clock today. Every every Sunday, first one through four. Actually, there's a session, and so those are at 11 o'clock. So those of you that are here this morning, you can stick around a little bit, have a little fellowship, and go right into Grow, and they'll feed you and minister to you. And it'll be a great uh, hour and 15 minutes. I want to thank you for your generosity. Uh, you've been a real blessing. Uh, to us in so many ways. I thank you for your giving. Some of you have given to outside of your your tithing. You've given uh, toward young people for the Outpour Conference, which I'm grateful for. You've given for missions for the for the upcoming teams that we got going out. It's just amazing on how uh, much of a blessing that you are. And thank you for being faithful, being obedient, uh, whether it be through the, the offering boxes or through the app or through the website. You're just showing your faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. And we really, really thank you. All right, we're ready to pray. I'm ready to go into the, into the word. Yeah, so let's, let's get with it. And uh, let's, let's pray for other churches and just see what Jesus would do for us. Father, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to gather together. <coughs> Here's the people of God. And Lord, it's in this house that we can worship you freely. It's where your presence is. It's, it's where, Lord God, that you, you dwell. You, you promised to be with us, not only here, but Lord, uh, but certainly here. And we're thankful for that. We're asking, Lord God, not just for us, but for every pulpit in this city. Uh, as uh, men and women of God approach that pulpit, I pray, Lord God, that they preach the gospel, that they share Jesus Christ in whatever manner and, and form that you've given them to do that. That lives in our community will be transformed and changed and churches in our city will grow. And the Lord will just infiltrate our region with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ being salt uh, and light. We're thankful for the service in, in Guiani, thankful for the service in Shandiger, looking forward to being with him uh, 
after next Sunday. I pray, Lord God, that you uh, be with Pastor David and his team this afternoon. And we also pray for First Assembly and, and the pastor there, Lord, asking that you would bless the church and just help them, Lord, through whatever challenges they may be facing. And uh, we rejoice with them in whatever victories they're experiencing. Uh, Lord, I pray that you help us today as we read the word of God. We know, Lord God, that uh, you are good to us and uh, you want us to know more about you and how we can apply what you have, what you're giving us to our life. And so today I'm specifically asking for your anointing and, and clarity, uh, Lord, as we deliver the word of God with, with uh, anointing and pray, prayerfully, passionately. Lord, we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen. Now, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. I probably didn't need to tell you where to, where to turn, right? You know, we're probably in Hebrews. Uh, we're probably in Hebrews until Jesus comes, maybe. But, <laughs> but Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to look at a few verses there. And, um, you know, we've been doing a series on Hebrews, but specifically the last two weeks have dealt with uh, a context, uh, a passage, actually, that started in verse number 11. And it goes down actually through verse number 12, which we're going to try to get to today. It starts in in chapter 5. And it's dealing with this whole issue of spiritual maturity. And the author being concerned that maybe they've hit some places, some seasons of actually laziness or being a little bit sluggish. And uh, that they're not, they're not getting past those elementary things, those, those ABCs. And so he... He briefly reviewed those. He didn't take a lot of time with those, but just to rehearse with them, these are the things that we believe. These are the things we know, and we talked about that last week. And, and you know those things. You grasp those things. You get a hold of those things, but we got to move on to maturity. There's, there's a completion that God has for us and exercising to the fullest who God has created us to be and the purposes and the reasons that he's done that and living that out loud, being people that know what we believe, always believe in those principles, those tenets of our faith, carrying those with us in everything we do, but exercising ourselves unto godliness and unto God and and being who we are. Now, you'll notice in this passage, let me actually read this. Uh, I'll start again in verse number one, but I want to read down through verse number six. Actually, let me just read verses four, five, and six. We'll get farther along in that uh, in the message, but, but let me key in on these verses. Hebrews chapter six, verse number four, and I want you to hear this. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, I'll be absolutely honest with you. The writer knows that there, there is that, that possibility of them to move forward. But he makes a statement to them about falling away and about renewal being impossible. And you have to ask yourself, what is the impossibility? What is the impossibility and who does this affect? Is it possible for you or for me or for anyone else that have a walk with Christ to come to a place where they get so far away from the Lord 
that even if they wanted to come back to him, they couldn't. Is that a possibility that that could happen? Now, let me tell you what I know. I know in every situation, context, in any kind of conversation, any kind of dialogue, context is everything. You gotta know the context if you're gonna be able to bring it to a place of conclusion. I was, I, I was really, uh, it was, I, I remember, don't remember the exact day, but I know it was somewhere during Martin Luther King's birthday. There was a, I was listening to a uh, radio show in my, in my driving around and uh, the host was David Webb and he was talking to a lady that worked for CNN, that, that's uh, RV, I believe is her name. And uh, she's a lady of, of, of color or uh, African-American. And they were talking about things concerning uh, progress of people of color and, and uh, you know, what can be unfolded and, and how life, uh, in a position that we all have the opportunities now of what we can do in life, no matter what the, what the color is, that's what they were talking about. And, uh, and she had some statements rebutting that and Mr. Webb uh, was said, you know, that he, he fully understands obviously what MLK was talking about. And, and uh, she, this lady was a journalist, he's a journalist, and he says, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten to where I am based on qualifications. And her response was, well, that's a whole nother conversation, whole nother conversation, uh, because you are talking from the context of the privileges that you have. And because of the privilege that you have, then you've been given opportunities that other people have not and got, people of color, and could not get if they didn't have the same privileges. And his response was, well, what, what do you mean by privileges? And she says, well, we don't need to go into this. You, you understand the privileges you get as a white male. And his response was, well, I'm sorry to inform you, but I'm an African-American. Silence. Context is everything. Let's pray. I can tell, I can tell, I can tell. Y'all better snorkel up, cause we going dirt. Father, I thank you for this opportunity we have to share this word. Lord, give us open ears, open mind, and open heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Without question, these verses that I just read are probably the most difficult passages in the Bible. Barclay, he even said that these, these scriptures are terrible. Is <laughs> what he said. They're just terrible. Um, other writers, I've read so many commentaries and so many writers about this. Stedman had it right there. They're probably the most naughtiest uh, in the Bible. And there's been so many ways that people have tried to explain um, these verses. And again, I want you to keep in mind the larger context of what the writer was doing in verse number 11. Here is what I know. And uh, without going into all of the Greek words and all the Greek language, this is what I can assure you. That the people that are being spoken of in verse number four and five, their experiences are real and genuine. They are people that have been truly enlightened, meaning they have been born again. They have indeed tasted the heavenly gift. They have experienced salvation. 
They have shared indeed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the word of God. They know the word. They've heard the word. The word has had a root in their life. They indeed have partaken of the powers of the age to come, meaning they've seen signs, they've seen wonders, they've seen miracles. They might even be part of those. And it's these that he says in this context that it's possible for them to fall away and, and get to a place where they cannot be renewed. Or yes, I would say renewed would be the right word. They cannot get back on track. Now here's the major views of that. And I'll just, there's several, but I'll just, I'll just give you, I'll give you five of them, four of them. And then, and then mine, of course, the one I want you to believe is mine, but I'll give you four and then we'll get to mine. The, 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 one of the most uh, common views, of course, is that these people that are being described are people that never really were saved, that they had all the expression. They look like a whole lot of folks that come to church week after week. They profess, profess Christ, but they never really belong to him. And, uh, and even though they've had some experiences and they've seen some things and maybe even uh, professed some things out of their mouth, that it never really took root, that they never really were born again, that they were maybe almost Christians, but it didn't take root. And the reason they fall away is, according to John 1, 2, 19, is that because they were never really part of us. And that's why they never really remained to the end. Unfortunately, some of my favorite uh, preachers and writers, Richard Phillips and Alistair Begg, uh, who is actually one of my favorite preachers that's alive, uh, they embrace this view. But there's, there's just two, there's a couple of problems with that that I see. One is, again, I've already told you, I absolutely believe it's describing true believers, that these are true believers. But the second thing is this, that, that the problem, uh, if, if, they, if they weren't truly saved, then what are they falling away from? If they weren't truly saved, what are they falling away from? You can't fall away from something that you never really had. So y'all agree when we throw that one out. Let's just do this out. Here's the second one. The second view that these people are referred to in the passage were saved, but now have lost their salvation. The fallen away that they're referring to is that their salvation is lost. Now, there's actually bigger problems with this one. And some of you know, and I won't take the time to go uh, into this, but, but I am going to tell you, I'm preaching a little bit longer today than I normally am, and I don't want to hear about it. Don't send me no email. Don't send me no text message. You know, whatever food you got is, is coming. It, it, don't worry. Just hang with me. You're going to learn something. You're going to grow, and you're going to be better by it. Amen. There, the, 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 there's two schools of thoughts. One is, and you may have heard this term, is what's called the Armenian school. Armenian school of thought and theology is people that teach that salvation does depend upon you. Christ has done the work, but it depends on you. You have to do what's required of you to be saved, and you have to do what's required of you to remain saved. And that somewhere down the line, some serious sin can throw you out of being saved. The problem is no Armenian is able to tell you what that serious sin is. It's just some mystical thing where somewhere down the line, they identify, oh, that's it. You're, you're, you're done in. And then that just throws you, you lose your salvation. And 
So according to them, what this is saying here is that these are folks who knew Christ and somewhere lost their salvation. The other school of thought is, is some call it Calvinist. I like to call it more reform uh, theology where I land is where we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Armenians believe that it's dependent on you and, and, and since you were part of the process of coming to, come to come into salvation, then you can also undo your salvation. Reformed theology says that we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We trust in the finished work of the believer who has come to saving faith. And we believe that true believers can never be lost. Now, I won't take the time through Romans 8, 28 through 39, but that's a good passage. But there are two scriptures that I absolutely want you to grab. And one is in John 6, 39 through 40. It says this. This is Jesus talking. This is the will of him who sent me. Listen to what Jesus said. That I should lose none of these he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Who is the last day, folks, he's raising up? Those that's been given to him by the Father. Here's verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's talking about me. I believe that's talking about you. I believe that's talking about anybody who believes indeed that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Can I I hear amen? amen? Now, John 10 is another one. Listen to this. This is Jesus talking. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. I, I, I don't need to go into what eternal life means. Parse it out in the Greek. Eternal life means eternal. So I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out. Check this out. My father who has given them me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Now I've heard people say, well, maybe nobody can snatch you out, but you can jump out. That's so ridiculous. I don't even want to deal with it. You're telling me I'm stronger than the hand of the father that I could just, I'm going to get out, God. I'm going to get out. You can hold me if you want to, but I'm going to, are you, come on, almost cussed. All right, that's just ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. And then there's the, the hypothetical view. There's the view, and, and, and Ryrie and Spurgeon, people that I totally respect, believe this view. They believe that the writer is actually telling them something to give them a little fear, a warning. It's not something that can really happen, but he's saying to them, if you don't repent, you know, it's, it's like telling, it's like, it's like telling the, uh, the child in school, you know, that, that uh, is in a bad spot. You know, well, if you can go back in time and fix that, then you won't have this problem. Well, it's impossible to go back in time and fix it. They're saying that he's given a hypothetical just to warn them, just so that they'll be fearful, just so they think, okay, I don't want that to happen to me. Now, I'm going to tell you why I reject that view. Anything that's impossible to me doesn't scare me. It's no warning at all if it's impossible. If it's a hypothetical, then it's not really a warning. Let's get that one out of the way. The fourth one is the one that I actually believed almost all of my preaching life. And because that he was writing to people 
that had come out of Judaism and they were threatening to go back into Judaism. I have believed for many years that the falling away was them falling back into Judaism. And I will tell you, that can be a very provable view. Contextually, I believe that I can prove that to be the case if I was pressed on it. But again, and that's the context of the whole, but again, I want you to get the context of this section, 511 down to 612. And here's my view. If you step back and look at the context, remember the problem is that they were wallowing in the basics of their faith. They were wallowing in that and they were failing to grow spiritually. The whole time he's telling them, press on to maturity, press on to maturity, press on to maturity. If you've truly been born again, then press on to maturity. By no means is there any statement in here of him talking to people outside of the faith. We got to believe that the author knows who he's talking to. He knows the audience. And so the language that he used and the manner that he's communicating has got to be understood in the manner of what he's trying to say. And he's saying something that's really real. And you might remember verse number three says, and this we will do if God permits. Now there's something in there that I want you to get. One thing on the one hand, we know that he's encouraging them to move on, to press on. On the other hand, we also know this, and we talked about this last week, that we need the help of the Lord. We're dependent on the sovereign God to do the things in us to move us along. It's not something that we can just do on our own. We need God's help. The elements that come from the Lord, the word, the spirit, etc. We need him to strike within us and spurn us on and, and, and encourage us to keep moving. We, and there's so many ways we can do that. And actually, I'll talk about that as we go along. But what he is saying here is this, that if you don't get yourself in a position with all that you know, you're going to apostate into a place of such dullness and spiritual laziness that that's where you're going to end up camping out. You're going to end up spending your time and life right there in that spiritual laziness. That the God of heaven wants you to move on and he's given you everything he possibly can to help you move on. But you got to take it on. You got to see the things that God has given you, being born again, experiencing the power of the spirit, seeing the miraculous works of God. You got it and having a hope for eternity. You got to see those things as valuable enough to say, I don't want to stay in this condition. I want to turn from this mindset of being lazy. It's not talking about the context at all of salvation and not salvation. There's nothing about this theologically that's even trying to tell us about being eternally secure or not eternally secure. Those folks are already saved. He's saying don't stay in this condition. You can apostate in such a state where you just become a Christian waddling in the things that you never grow up from that you never grow up from. And he says, true Christians, basically saying, all of us have the ability to backslide into such a state that it requires us to repent. 
Now, this ain't the only time we've seen this, and I'll only read one of these verses, but we see it in Revelation 2, 5. He says, therefore, remember, he's talking to one of the churches from where you have fallen and repent to do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Nothing about the lampstand is about salvation. The lampstand is about the anointing, the presence of the almighty God. And he says, if you fall back in such a state where you don't press through and continue to be the believer doing the thing God wants you to do, then he'll remove the very thing that gives you the anointing and the grace and the power to do it. Am I talking to the right church? This term fall away, it's only used one time in the New Testament, only once, and it's right here in this passage. And he he tells these folks, don't be lethargic, don't be lazy, don't be numb to the things of God. But if they failed to repent and turn, then he said you could end up in a very bad place. And there is a judgment for that. And that's what he talks about in verse seven and eight. I want you to hear this in verse seven and eight. He says, when the, round, when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. I want you to get this simply put, and I think you get this illustration. He's saying this, both fields, rain is coming down. Same as very much as the house is built on foundation or sand. Rain is coming down. But when the rain comes down, if the ground that's receiving that rain receives it and produces, you're going to have a good crop. But that same rain can fall on that same ground. But if the ground doesn't produce, it'll bring forth weeds, thorns, and thistles. And this is what he's saying. The ground is not designed to bring forth weeds, thorns, and thistles. And if it does, they're not useful. The only thing that's useful in a believer's life is fruit, is produce, is good crop, but not weeds, not thorns, not thistles. And this is what he says. The farmer will come along and he will burn the weeds, burn the crop, and burn the thistles. He can't burn the dirt. The ground is still the ground. But if the ground's not producing what the ground is supposed to produce, whatever it produces has to be burned away because you're designed to be fruitful. Now, let me help you, Alice, because I can see you in Wonderland. Let me turn you to 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Listen to what the scripture says. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Talking about the foundation of Christ, the principles of faith. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Follow this. Keep it in context with Hebrews. The fire will show if a man's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. If what you've done has proven to be unto God, then there is a reward. Now, we're not talking about eternal life. We're talking about at the judgment seat of Christ and the reward you receive unto the, in, in God for the things that you have done. If your work survives, you go before the judgment seat of Christ, he sees the fruit, he sees the produce, you receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, if your ground that's produced weeds and thorns and thistles, check this out, the builder will suffer great loss Watch this, hear this. The builder will be saved, 
but someone, but like someone barely escaping through the walls of flames. The builder is not judged for eternal damnation. The builder is saved. But the works that he's done, the Lord is saying, you really didn't get it done like you were supposed to get it done. You're saved, but the works that you've done, they're not adding up. Now that is clearly to me the context of what the writer is saying in Hebrews, clearly. And, he's, and I, I don't want to re-preach the message last week, but, but, but if you missed last week, I, I can go back and do it. But, but the issue is, as you recall, getting people out of that spiritual laziness, he's still dealing with the context of that. And, and I want you to notice one other observation. You notice, and if you got your Bibles open, which I hope you do, you notice the first person plural in verse number one, it says, let us, first person, go into maturity. In verse number three, it says, this we will do, first person. But when he gets to this warning, he turns from the condition, talking about their spiritual growth, he turns from first person to third person. And he says, verse number four, in the case of those, in verse number four, it is impossible to renew them again. In verse number six, they again crucify to themselves. So with this stern warning that he's given, the author shifts from first person to the people he's talking to, to third person, letting them know what can happen to people, not them, but it can happen to anybody, including them, to let them know, I'm not saying to you at all that you have not, that you've lost your salvation and can lose your salvation. He's absolutely not trying to prove of doctrine. He's trying to say, listen, You also are people of faith who have been called to live your life, to bear out the fruits of God that he's processed in your life. You don't want to fall into a camp of people who have stopped doing the things of God, have become lazy, and have fallen away from the things that God has called them to do. Now, you may say, Pastor, I still don't get it. It'll be on the app. But I want you to get verse number nine through 12. I want you to get verse number nine through 12. And can I just help you with verse number nine? Because what the writer said to them is what I want to say to you. Dear friends, even though we're talking this way, we really don't believe this applies to you. We are confident that you're meant for better things, things that come with salvation. Let me tell you what the writer's saying and let me tell you what I want to say and then I'll, then I'll jump heavy into this message and get you, get you home. Let me tell you what the writer is saying. The writer is saying, I'm telling you all these things. I'm giving you this warning because I'm so concerned about you being in a condition of that laziness and falling back that you never produce and be who God called you to be. But I want you to know, I don't really believe that's you. In other words, I believe you're really better than that. And if you're sitting here wondering, I wonder if he's talking about me, hear me say this, you're better than that. You're better than that. 
I don't want you to spend any time camping out of, I wonder if that's me, I wonder if that's me, I wonder if that's me. I want you to hear verse nine and say, you know what, I'm better than that. And even if I am the one that's falling back a little bit, I'm better than that. I don't have to stay there, I don't have to camp there, I don't have to live there, I don't have to worry about falling away, I don't have to worry about losing rewards, why? Because I'm better than that. Jesus has saved me, Jesus has given me new life, Jesus has baptized me in the Holy Spirit, he's gifted me to lay hands on the sick and they will recover, he's gifted me to do the great works of God. Yes, there might have been some moments when I wasn't doing the things that I should have been doing, but I am better than that. That's not going to be me. That's not going to be me. That warning that he's given, that's not for me. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's not for me. That's not for me. It's very much like a coach when he brings them into a, to a locker room at halftime. And the team ain't doing the way that they should be doing. And they, they, they get a little scolding. And then he may say, you know, you, you know what, Jones? You, you missed that block. If you wouldn't have missed that block, Ian would have went for a touchdown. You know, you know what, Bill? That pass was right on the money. If you wouldn't have dropped that pass, we'd have had that first down, we wouldn't have had the punt. He could have went right on down the line. Center, you know, that, you know the count. Why did you hike the ball when the count wasn't ready? kicker. We've practiced this over and over and over. We're losing because you guys are doing this thing. But the coach turns and says, but you know what? You're better than that. You're better than that. Yes, you've had some mishaps and yes, you've made some mistakes, but you're better than that. You're able, you're equipped, you're ready. We can move on to victory. This is what the writer is saying to us. We are better than that. Yeah, come on. I might've had some dull days and some lazy days and don't feel like doing devotion days and don't want to study for my sermon days. And no matter how loud the music is, the song just ain't moving me today. I might've had some of those days, but somewhere down the line, you got to hear the voice from heaven says you are better than that you are better than that and you get on with it he calls them beloved so that certainly tells us what he believes in them he says we you're convinced of better things and then he says this in verse number 10 he says for God is not unjust he will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve. Again, that's encouragement. God has seen you do some things. Again, they, they're in a spiritual law in a lazy spot. But he says, God is not unjust. He's seen everything that you've done. He's, he's watched you serve the saints. And if I went back in context of Hebrews, as you know, some of them was being ostracized, losing their homes, losing their jobs because they've given their life to Christ. They've come together as a community. There's writings about the things they did for one another, helping them medically, helping them financially, helping them with housing. He said, the Lord has seen all that. And this same God is also watching you as you continue to serve. He's telling me, you're not going to stay there. I don't want you to stay there. I need you to turn from there and God is seeing this. Now, I want to lay out a few things that he's saying in these other verses that I think that you you can just extract from those without me going into heavy-duty stuff. And just for the sake of making it clear about losing rewards or things getting burnt up, you got to know this. Genuine love for God and salvation is always accompanied by visible evidence. It's always accompanied by visible evidence. If you have a love for God, 
and salvation for you is real and true, there's always going to be visible evidence of that. That's what the writer said. I've seen the evidence already. I know that you're people that serve the Lord. And he uses the word shown, which is something visible. The point is that they have faith in Christ and it manifests itself in their life. But genuine salvation always does that. And if we're truly believers, truly have love for the Lord, then, then, and our salvation is real, then we should increase in that fruitfulness and holiness. Listen to Matthew chapter seven, verse 16 and 20. It says, you can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Listen, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so can you identify people by their actions. Now that's the word of God. We don't have to sweat it. We don't have to worry about it. Here it is. If you're truly born again, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, the fruit will say so. The tree will say so. The life will reveal it. I read a sto- a, just a little ditty by uh, D.L. Moody. I don't know if it was one of his sermons or not, but he told a story about this guy coming up to him. He said the guy was, was stumbling drunk. And the guy came up to him. He was slurring. And he said, Mr. Moody, I'm one of your converts. To which he replied, you must be one of mine because you certainly can't be one of the Lord's. Y'all get that, don't you? Not, not being the way you are, you can't be the Lord's. You must be one of mine. And some of you know, I've heard of uh, Mickey Cohen. I, uh, there's, 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 a, there's a movie that came out not too long ago about Mickey Cohen, but he was a pretty, pretty top-notch gangster, I guess if you can use that term, in the 50s. And um, he was well-known, done a lot of bad stuff, but you know, couldn't really get, at the moment, couldn't really get stopped for all the things he was doing and uh, pulling Al Capones and all that kind of stuff. But he got intrigued. He was at the height of his criminal career. He got intrigued about uh, Billy Graham and was interested in, in hearing this man that he had heard about. And uh, so he went to a, a Billy Graham crusade. I believe it was Billy Graham. could have been Billy Sunday. Uh, and the message that was preached was about, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He didn't do anything about it at that particular meeting, but it says night after night, night, he kept thinking about that. And eventually uh, there was some other fellow that was also trying to get him to come to Christ that that he ended up making a confession of faith. But as time passed on, they saw no difference. Mickey Cohen was still doing the stuff he'd done in gangster life. Still, you know, ordering killings and, and passing around of bad products or selling bad products that he shouldn't have. And when they finally confronted him about it and says, you know, here's what the scripture says. This is what you said you did. This is a profession of faith. And this is what it means about fruit. He had a real logical response. He says, well, there's Christian football players and there are Christian cowboys and there are Christian politicians. Why can't they be a Christian gangster? <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> that's experienced the Lord Jesus Christ, you know the authenticity of your conversion is revealed in time and in life. I'm gonna tell you, I've seen thousands of professions of faith in my Christian walk, thousands, some dramatic and some quiet. 
But what really gives me joy is when I see the mature depth of the faith of one who's confessed Jesus and they continue to grow in their faith. Can you say amen? The, the verse 11 gives us another thing that I think we should look at because he's saying to them, you coming out of this laziness is going to be evidence in your life. You coming out of this laziness is going to be evidence in you serving uh, faithfully, lovingly, and with patience that you serve others. He said, Jesus, or he said, the, the Lord has saw you serve faithfully, that he saw you serve the saints. And that's the work of the believer. We serve people. We serve with love. We serve diligence. We serve faithfully. We never know whose life that we're going to touch and whose life we're going to impact by serving others. Beyond, um, we don't need to deal with culture. It shouldn't be a concern of what denomination they come from, who they are, where they come from. People of God, we serve with love. We serve faithfully. We serve diligently. Our heart's desire is to be like Jesus Christ and serve. Jesus came to give his life for many. We give our life to doing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that faithfully and diligently. Not knowing the impact that it's going to have on other people's life. I read a story, and actually you can look this story up. Uh, in the, I, 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 it's the Naval Archives or something like that. But uh, I'm reading a really good book by Gary uh, Sinise uh, uh, talking about being a grateful American. And he tells this story about, uh, it's 1942, August 8th and 9th. Um, this particular seaman, his last name is Staples. He was on the first ship that encountered um, the Japanese in uh, 42, I believe it was, uh, Savo was the battle. And he had, he had just, they had been battling for a couple of days, uh, I believe, and uh, the, they, they had a, there was a blast. He had just finished lunch. They let some of the guys, because the battle was raging, some of you eat real quick, take a quick nap, come back up. And so after he ate, he said that he um, laid down and he set his life belt right next to him. He heard a big blast. And sure enough, he said when he heard the blast, he grabbed his lifeboat, put his lifeboat, life, life belt, sorry, life belt on, and another blast came and it actually uh, threw him overboard. He was in the water, he says, from two o'clock in the afternoon till uh, it was four hours, so six o'clock p.m. Another destroyer comes by, picks him up, and takes him to the Astoria, the one that he was on. At that time, though, the captain was trying to run the ship uh, a beach, or if that's the right word, run it aground, uh, because he knew that it was sinking, but he just wanted to get it somewhere where when it did uh, fall over, they're closer to the beach. Well, they didn't make it. They didn't make it. The ship uh, began to sink, and, uh, and so they're in the water now. Uh, I don't have the exact amount of hours, but I know it was through the night and it was the next day that someone came, another uh, destroyer came and picked up the survivors. Uh, now, not just from his ship, but from several that was uh, getting rescued. It was about 500 survivors. And they took him to a place where, of course, they were doing medical attention for him. This whole time he has on this life belt. And when they, when, after his medical attention, they let him go on leave. Now, he was from Akron, Ohio. And when he looked at his life belt, when he was on his way, packing up his stuff on his way home, which was on his way home to Akron, Ohio, he looked at his life belt and he noticed that it was made by the Firestone Rubber Company in Akron, Ohio. 
which is where he was from. So he goes home, he's with his mom, he's telling her about the different things that, was what, that had happened. And, uh, and he told his mom that, you know, this life belt that I had on was made here at the Firestone Rubber Company. Now, what he didn't know is that his mom was one of those ladies that had, was, was, had accepted the call to volunteer to help the men that are in the service in any way they can. Since she lived in Akron, Ohio, she, she volunteered at the Firestone Rubber Factory where they were making life belts and other things that they were using for people in the war. And so he tells his mom about this life belt that was made here at Akron. She tells him, you know, I, I volunteered there while you was away at the, at the rubber belt place. And uh, she said, I was, a, I was an inspector. And they get to talking. And then she says, do you still have the, the belt? And he says, sure, I still got it. So he goes and gets the belt. And she said that every belt had a number on it. And because Firestone was very particular about making sure that product was well inspected and you had, put your, you had done the diligence to put your approval on it before it got shipped. So he comes back with the belt. His mother opens up the belt to look at the number. She gets faint and get emotional. And she looks up at him and says, that's my number. That's my number. I'm the one that inspected the belt that saved your life. If God can work through this mother with that kind of diligence to save the life of people she don't know, what about us for eternal things? If we serve faithfully, if we be diligent, if we be patient, if we love, and if we care about the things of God, how much more can lives be saved if we get out of this laziness and do what God has called us to do? Am I talking to the right church? Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says this, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. I I don't think I need to go into it too much. You know, by no means am I trying to tell you, and neither is this passage that that it's your works that save you. We know that we're saved by faith. But because of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ that's been invested in us and the new birth that we've experienced, we do the works of God. We do the works because of saving faith. Ephesians 2, 6 and 10 says this, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even while we were dead in transgressions. Listen, it was by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, catch this, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us. Can you say amen? It's not a sprint. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. The reward comes at the end of the race, but we can't stop off. We can't get lazy. We can't get sluggish. We got to be in this for the long haul. We got we to stay away from this prone to laziness. And let me just give you this last thing. Team, you can come and prayer team, you can come. He said in verse number 12, to imitate those who have shown faith and endurance, pursuing that inherited promise, that promise. Now, I, I could talk more about that, and he's certainly setting us up to talk about Abraham, which we'll do in the next message. But he's, but he's saying this, that, that, that if, we ever get, if we ever get lazy, there, there is a right time in our life when we're always taught to look to Jesus, and I'll talk about that, but, but, but there is a right time in our life 
That if all we can do is, is just imitate people that we know that are faithful, imitate people that we know are serving, imitate people that we know are giving it all they got. There's times in our life where we let what other people do influence us for the good. And if all we can do is imitate those who we know are faithful, who we know are pursuing the promise, who we know have endured through trial and tribulation and are still faithful, let's imitate them. See what they're doing, how they're getting through, how they're overcoming, how they're conquering, how they're not falling by the wayside. And let's imitate them. Watch what they do and practice the things that you see those do who endure. Some of you probably don't know this, but I'm a, I'm a well, I guess it won't be a secret anymore, but I, I was going to say I'm a secret country western man. I love country western. V and I go down the road and I'm telling you, I got my whole, uh, I got song after song. I said, baby, you know, we're going to listen to, they're going to say stuff to you that I don't know how to say, but it's, that's coming from me. You know, we're going we gonna to talk about it. We're going to go down the road and watch and listen to some country western. There's a song that I like by a guy named Rodney Atkins and it's called Watching You. The song goes like this and I, I, uh, V asked me to sing it, but I, I don't, I don't. I, I sing it to her, but I'm not going to sing it to y'all. But it, 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 he says, I'm driving through town, just my boy and me, with the Happy Meal in his booster seat, knowing he can't, couldn't eat the toy until the nuggets were gone. A green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath as fries went flying and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with an S, and I was concerned. So I said, son, now where did you learn to talk like that? He said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. I want to do everything you do. So I've been watching you. He says, we got back home and I went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard, said, Lord, please help me help my stupid self. Now, if you watch the video, you'll see the boy is sneaking behind him. He says, in his room later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed and got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes, he folded his little hands, and spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where did you learn how to pray like that? He said, dad, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, dad? I want to do everything like you, so I've been watching you. Sometimes you got to just watch some folks. The best example, of course, is Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnare us. Let us run with with endurance the race that lies before us. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand and I want to close out with this verse and I want to thank you for your patience. If you need to get more of this, honestly, it'll be on the app. Get it. I want you to get it. I want you to know it. But, but above all, I want you to realize that God has given you a great opportunity and a great gift. Let's not be lazy and sluggish. Listen to what Peter said about it. Second Peter chapter 1. He says this, his divine power has granted to us all, talking about every one of us, things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, 
by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. This is what Christ has done for us. So that through them you may become partakers of divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We've been able to escape from those things because of what Christ has done for us. For this very reason, listen to this, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Listen, for these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are y'all following me on this? For whoever lacks these qualities, these things that we're talking about doing as fruitful, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted and blind that he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, listen to this. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, listen to this, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you, listen to this, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we practice what we know, not be lazy, move on to maturity. He said, man, there's an entrance wide open for us into the eternal kingdom of God. There's better things, better things. Father, I thank you for this opportunity and time that we have to, to share. I thank you for just your, just your presence that opened up the eyes and the ears of the people of God and allowed us to hear the word and understand the word and share the word, share in the word. I pray that it does speak to each one of us. We got to find where we are in all of this. If we are in this place of spiritual laziness and sluggish and lethargic, Lord, the call is to repentance. There's no reason to stay in that place of falling away from the things that you know is right, but turn. Lord, I pray the people of God will just turn and, and do those things that you have already given the ability to do. That they would increase, Lord God, in love and increase in diligence and increase in faithfulness and increase in serving others and increase in showing, Lord God, the fruits of the salvation that you've granted us. I pray, Lord God, for your help for every one of us. Lord, if there's somebody here that has not yet made that commitment to to serve you, they're not just in a place of laziness, Lord God, but in a place of deadness and a fear of eternal damnation. May today, Lord God, be a day that they commit their life to you. May the message of Christ resonate with them, that you are a Lord and you are a Savior that's died for all of our sins, that we may have a right to eternal life. Lord, you're amazing and you're awesome, and I love you so much. And I know, Lord God, for this this body, this fellowship, these people of God, we got a house full of people who love you. And I resound the words of the writer in Hebrews, the things that they could fall into, the things that they should be warned about and fear of. Lord, I say to this, this congregation, that's not us. We're going forward to better things. We're going to do the work of God. We're going to trust him and we're going to live this life out loud, showing fruit, showing love, serving others and being doing, being diligent and faithful to the end. Lord, we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. May the people of God say amen.